just so you are not confused, this is a cutting board, okay? It is a cutting board that uh, was made for me, uh, which might seem odd because I'm not sure why I would need a cutting board, um, but it was made for me, and uh, this cutting board, and I'm going to explain it later, I just didn't want you thinking, why is, what is that big piece of wood up on stage? It is a reminder to me uh, that God uh, wants to be God, that God wants to do amazing things well beyond I could ever dream up on my own or what you could ever dream up on your own. So we'll come back to the cutting board, but I wanted to, uh, as I was thinking and praying about uh, today, uh, Lord brought back to, to mind a story, uh, really not a story, just a conversation uh, I had. It was actually a friend of uh, me and P-Dub uh, that we've known this man, Chris, uh, back from our days at The Ohio State University. That was your cue of saying, like, go Bucks or something. So, all right, thank you. And, um, and I remember one night after uh, me and Chris, and I think actually P-Dub was there probably leading worship, uh, and I have no idea what the message was uh, this evening. We were uh, with a Young Life uh, community, and we were going through some leadership development, leadership training, and I remember uh, sitting in the parking lot or standing in the parking lot uh, with our friend Chris. And me and Chris were just kind of talking about what God was doing with us, what God was doing around us. And I remember just having the conversation with Chris. Uh, and we just were talking about, man, I don't want to wake up 20 years from now and just say that I've been living a really boring life. And as we were really talking about what we just wanted to see, what we would love to see God do with us, uh, really what we came up with is, we don't want to live a typical life. Uh, we didn't want our life uh, to be marked by just some typical guys just kind of going through the motions of life. We were guys that we just wanted more. Uh, and what's been really amazing, uh, that conversation took place about 16, 17 years ago. Uh, and usually once, twice a year, Chris will text me. Uh, and he'll just say, and he's still living in the Columbus, Ohio uh, area, and I know you don't know Chris, but if you want a picture of what Chris is like, he's like a walking Red Bull can. Um, he is just full of life and energy and is just like go, go nonstop. He's like a little fireball. Uh, and every once in a while, he'll just shoot me a text uh, and he'll just ask me those questions. You haven't settled in for a typical life, have you? You're still going hard. You're still going after it. And I just haven't forgotten that conversation. It might seem really simple, the statement of, I just don't want to live a typical life. But that one decision that was made back in a parking lot years, years back has really guided uh, me in so many different ways of saying, you know what? I don't want to live a typical life. Um, I've quoted this uh, man, Bob Goff, many times. Uh, he wrote a great book called Love Does. And he actually commented on the typical life. He said this, There's nothing wrong with being typical, I guess, but there's nothing fundamentally right about it either. I've never read in Genesis that God created typical and called it good. Instead, I think men who were bored made up typical and called it, if not good, at least acceptable. People who follow Jesus, though, are no longer typical. God is constantly inviting them into a life that moves away from typical. Even if they have normal jobs, live, normal live in normal houses, and drive normal cars, they're just not the same anymore. 
And what I'm really excited to, we're going to walk and spend some time in uh, the story of Acts. We've been in this uh, for the past uh, six, seven months, and this morning we're in the middle of Acts chapter 9. But my heart for all of us today is, I wouldn't want any one of you here to say, you know what, my life could be summed up by typical, a life of just kind of going through the motions. And I'm convinced personally, if you have a relationship with God, if you have a relationship with Jesus, your life will never be the same again. Meaning you will not be able to just live a typical life because life with God sets us free from typical uh, to, dare I say, a life of extraordinary. Now, I, I'm guessing if I just ask the simple question, would any of you want to live a typical life? I don't think any one of you would say, yes, that's, that's my life ambition, I just want to be typical. I just want to go through the motions. I just want to kind of live life on cruise control uh, as it were. I don't think we'd say that. And what I love about what we're doing in the story of Acts, and we're preaching it on Sundays, and I really hope you're just diving into it during the week and just following along in the story, because one of the things that is just captivating me, inspiring me, is men and women uh, that we see in the story of Acts They were not typical people. They did not settle for living a typical life. Rather, they were just ordinary men and women who got in relationship with an extraordinary God and saw extraordinary things happen. Case in point, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about a man named Saul, and we now know him as the Apostle Paul. I don't think any one of us would say, you know what, typical guy, living a typical life. I think most of us would agree and say, man, that guy was inspiring. He was compelling. He was engaging. He had story after story after story of God at work in him, with him, through him. I remember talking with Chris 16, 17 years ago in the parking lot, and really our heart was, we don't want to be typical. We just wanted to be the guys who had stories that God is real, that God is good, and that God is amazing. Like we just wanted to have stories to tell people, to show people who maybe don't believe in God, don't know God, don't trust God, or are at least indifferent to God. We wanted to be the guys that would set or be an example, as it were, of no, 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 God is absolutely real. God is absolutely good, and God is absolutely amazing. I'll get to it in a little bit, but this cutting board, it reminds me of how amazing God is. So this morning, I'm not going to walk through a to-do list of if you do X, Y, Z, and, or 1, 2, and 3, you will be set free from living a typical life. But we have another example in the story of Saul. And we use him, we don't put him up on a pedestal, but we say, you know what, we can learn some things from those who have gone before us. And if we apply what we're learning to how we live, I promise you, typical just won't be your reality. So if you have a Bible, open up to Acts chapter 9. Uh, I'm going to start at verse 19. And the story is uh, Saul, uh, who was just a typical, angry, bitter guy. Typical guy. And he was actually on his way to a city in uh, Damascus, which is modern-day Syria. And his goal was he wanted to imprison people who were Christians. And on the road to Damascus, he meets Jesus. Now, this is literally just a few days after that encounter. And it says uh, in verse 19, Saul stayed with the believers uh, in Damascus for a few days. And immediately, catch that, immediately 
he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is indeed the Son of God. And all who heard him, they were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked. And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? But Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And after a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. Amazing. He came into town to imprison to kill Christians, but now within just a short time of him even meeting Jesus, now they want to kill him. And it says uh, in verse 24, and they were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their, their plot. And so during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. And then when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. And then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to him. And he also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. And so Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he debated with some of the Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, which was his hometown. And the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And it became stronger as the believers lived in fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Now, there's a lot of details in what I think is a pretty phenomenal story. But what I want you to catch just before we even go on is if you, have, if you know God, your life is not going to be the same. If you have a relationship with Jesus, your life will never be the same. So if you want to not live a typical life, a life of just going through the motions, a life of just jumping from through hoop to hoop to hoop, if you want to be free from that, it starts by knowing Jesus. Paul would have been your typical angry, prideful, bitter, misguided man, but when Jesus met him, he set him free from who he was. He set him free from living a typical life. So I don't want you to hear these uh, few different things I'm going to share is just go do this and you won't live a typical life. What I want you to hear as we walk through these few things are Saul did not live a typical life. And here are some things that we learn through his example. I'd give you, number one would be this. Be about today, not about what happened yesterday or might happen tomorrow. Be about today, not about what happened yesterday or uh, what might happen tomorrow. Again, it says in Acts uh, 9, verse 19 and 20, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. He is indeed the Son of God. Now, does it strike you as at least a little bit odd that the guy who came to imprison Christians, the guy who came to persecute Christians, does it strike you at all odd how quickly he began telling other people about the man that he notoriously hated? Like, does it even bother you that he didn't sit around for at least a few weeks, if not a few months, 
in the shame and the guilt of everything that he had done. I want you to keep in mind, he killed people. He imprisoned people. He ruined people's lives. Like, where, where's the time out, so to speak, where he just sat around just moping and filled with guilt and remorse and just shame? Like, how is it possible that Saul was able so quickly to begin pointing other people towards the Savior? There's no downtime. Literally within a week of him meeting Jesus, he's up preaching about Jesus, telling other people about Jesus. And you're like, are you kidding me? Like, dude, why aren't you walking around with your head hanging low? Just riddled with shame and guilt and for all the things that you've done. Well, the only answer that I have from that is when he met Jesus, Jesus set him free from drawing on what he did and enabled him to focus on what Jesus had did. And this is the beauty of what just Jesus does. When you come to know Jesus, you no longer have to fix your eyes on what you've done or what you haven't done. That's not my focus anymore. My focus is no longer on me and my sin and my shortcomings and my hangups and my mess-ups. My focus is now completely on what Jesus has absolutely done for me. One of the things that Paul understood very quickly and then would later write about is in Romans 8.1. He says, there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Meaning, if you know Jesus, you don't, you don't live with shame. You don't live with guilt. You don't live backwards. You don't live thinking and dwelling about all the things that you ever did wrong. Because all of those things have been completely forgiven by Jesus. Paul knew that so quickly, he was able to begin telling everybody else about who Jesus is. Again, Paul would later write about this, but he says this in Galatians chapter 3, when he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. Paul got that. And that's what, because he understood what Jesus did, he didn't have to dwell on what he did. And it's not to say that there was no remorse over murdering, imprisoned, persecuting people, but he was able to live today because he understood that his past was completely forgiven. Now, I don't want to belabor this too much, but I'm guessing a lot of people that I've met, and you might be one of those here, is your life is just so filled with guilt and shame and remorse that you cannot even enjoy all that God has for you because you're living backwards. Like Paul or Saul inspires me that within days he's up telling people about Jesus. And this is, I think, really the key. If you want to be just free from all of the shame and the guilt, you got to start talking about Jesus. And I know that might seem odd, but what I'm convinced of is the more Paul preached, proclaimed, told other people about Jesus, it really began to solidify in his own heart, in his own mind, who Jesus is. See, I cannot help but tell other people about Jesus and remind myself of, yeah, he's amazing, he's gracious, he's kind, he's compassionate. I cannot help but quote verses like Romans 8.1 that says there's no condemnation, that means I don't need to beat myself up over sin that has been absolutely forgiven. So the apostle Paul, or Saul is not sitting around just 
just acting all mopey. He's like, no, I met Jesus. I'm completely forgiven. Now let me go tell other people about Jesus. Now let me ask a question of, when you sin, pick whatever your sin might be. And by the way, sin is sin, so there's no categories of really big ones and really little ones. So when you sin, how long does it take you to start smiling again? Like, how long does it take you to rebound, as it were? Because I know what it used to look like for me is I would sin, and then I would just walk around moping and depressed and just acting all sorry for myself, and people, Michael, what's wrong? Oh, man, I'm just, I would just beat myself up. Sometimes it would go on for weeks until I felt like, all right, well, I beat myself up now. Now I can enjoy forgiveness. Now I can enjoy like God actually loves me. So how long does it take for you? When you sin, I want to tell you, the second you sin and say, you know, Jesus, that was absolutely wrong. I'm sorry and I repent of that. In that moment, you start smiling. In that moment, there's joy. There's no beating yourself up. There's no walking around having a pity party for yourself. Because Jesus, he loves you. He's forgiven you. And one of the ways that we remind ourselves of that amazing truth is to do exactly what Saul did, is he began telling other people about what Jesus has done. Now, he only knew Jesus for about a week. And what I love is he did not prevent what he did not know about Jesus. He didn't prevent that from telling people what he did know about Jesus. And I think what happens is, well, I can't tell other people about Jesus. I can't talk about Jesus because I just, I don't know everything there is to know. And until I start knowing everything there is to know, that's when I will actually start talking to other people. Saul, he just told people what he knew. It was a simple message. Jesus is the son of God. Well, what about this? What about this? What, I don't know. All I know is this is who Jesus is. So do not let your lack of knowledge prevent you from telling other people yourself who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. This is another way of just saying you, you preach Jesus to yourself. You, you proclaim the gospel to yourself. So that would be simply uh, the first thing I would want to encourage you with is uh, be about today, not about what happened yesterday or what might happen tomorrow. Number two, second thing I'd share with you of what I learned from uh, Saul uh, as an example is this, be fully you, but be fully about Jesus. Be fully you, but be fully about Jesus. Verse 21, 22, all who heard him, they were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers? And didn't he come to arrest them and take them in chains? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. What I love about these few verses is that Saul was still Saul. He was still the same passionate man that he was before, but now his passions were directed towards Jesus. He was still the same guy. Saul was converted, but being converted doesn't mean that you are to stop being you. Jesus wants you to be you, but he wants you to be about him. As I look at Saul here, just in the first week, is 
He was still Saul. He was still fired up. He was still compelling. He was still engaging. He still had passion and zeal. But now all of those things were absolutely directed towards Jesus. I think what's typical for many is to think if you become a Christian, you've got to become some weird, socially awkward, judgmental, socially disengaged, mean person. And that's just, that's not true. Jesus, he wants you to be you. He wants you to be you, but he wants you to be absolutely all about him. So some of you, I want you to listen to this because you might get stuck on the very first part. Jesus does not want to change you. Okay? Hang on a second. He does not want to change you. He wants to use you, specifically how he's wired you, how he has created you. He doesn't want to change you into something that you're not. He doesn't want to change you into someone that you were never created to be. Now, if you are like a rude, arrogant, mean, critical, bitter, judgmental person, well, that's not you. That's just sin, and you need to repent of that. You weren't created to be like that. That's not your personality. Well, what's your personality? How'd you do on the personality test? Oh, I'm arrogant. I'm just rude. No, that's just sin. So repent of that. But So when I say Jesus does not want to change you, I just want you to catch, you were created by God in a unique, specific way. And this is what I love about the church. It is diverse people from different backgrounds coming together to say, you know what? All of us, God doesn't want us to make us a clone army. He wants to use each of us as he's created us to be to make much of him. What does it practically look like to be fully you but be fully about Jesus? Some of you are really funny. Not all of you. Some of you are really funny. You don't have to work at it. You don't even have to try hard. Like just funniness comes out of you. So use your humor to build others up, to encourage them. Use your humor, how you have been wired by God to bless others, to point others to who Jesus is. Because if you just read some stories in the Gospels, like Jesus was pretty funny. So use how he's wired you as a humorous, funny person. Some of you are really artistic and creative. Well, guess what? Be artistic. Be incredibly creative. But be you to point other people to the creator. You're not artistic and creative so people can celebrate how awesome you are. No, he wired you that way so you can use the arts and use your creativity to point to the creator. Some of you are just like wicked smart. Like you just think on a different level. Well, use your intelligence to encourage, to help other people understand just incredible deep truths about who God is and what God is like. Don't use your intelligence that God has given. That's just how he's wired you. You're the person who could just read a thousand pages every day and that would not be enough. Well, that's not to be used just so you can pride yourself on that. No, use your intelligence to help other people. Some of you, compassionate and, and, and uh, caring. Oh, be you. 
be compassionate, be caring. Why? So when you do that, you're giving people an example of what God is like. Some of you are innovative and driven. Be innovative. Be driven. Use that passion that you have, that God's given you, to create, to build. Again, to bless others, to point other people. I've got a really long list here. I'll stop with that. But my point is simply this. Be you. Be how he's wired you, how he's formed and fashioned you. Jesus is not trying to change you into something you're not. He sets us free from sin, something that kills who we are, so that we can be fully us, but be fully about him. My question before I move on is just simply this. Are you being you? Are you being who God created you to be, or are you just settling for being a knockoff of someone else? Because it's typical. The typical person is just so insecure with themselves that they would rather just mimic somebody else. Because it's easier to mimic somebody else than really discover who you are and what you're like and why you're like that, and then embrace that and be fully you, but be fully about Jesus. Saul was still Saul. And as you go through the rest of the story of Acts, you're going to be like, man, nothing changed in his personality. He was still passionate, but now his passions were directed towards Jesus. Uh, Number three, uh, uh, here's a good one for us. Uh, Be okay to be in a basket. Be okay to be in a basket. Because typically, most people, they don't want to be in a basket. And by the way, the basket is a metaphor for suffering. Be okay to be in a basket. After a while, some of the Jews, this is Acts 9, uh, plotted together to kill him. And they were watching for him day and night in the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about the plot. And so during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through the opening in the city wall. I don't know if Saul had this thought, but I'm guessing it probably crossed his mind that while being lowered through a window in a basket, you know, I used to be the guy that people were just fanning over. And now look at me. I'm in a basket being lowered down through a window in a wall because now everybody wants to kill me. The reality, at least for Saul, is that was the first of many basket moments in his life. That was the first example, as it were, of Saul being okay to be in a basket. Now, he would later uh, say in Philippians chapter 1, from prison, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Like in his mind, Paul writing this from prison saying, you know what? It is a privilege to know Jesus. It is a privilege to have a relationship with Jesus. But it is just as much a privilege to suffer for the man who suffered for us. He would go on, the very last letter that he wrote in 2 Timothy, he said this, and because I preach this good news, I'm suffering and have been chained like a criminal, but the word of God cannot be chained. So I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those that God has chosen. What I love about that is Paul is just saying, listen, if me living life in a basket is going to somehow bring somebody else to know this Jesus, then I'm okay to be in a basket. 
typically most people will avoid suffering at all costs. Now, I'm not suggesting you just go run out and find your first basket and go camp out in it. But I am suggesting if you are going to be a follower of Jesus, it's not going to be easy. The road will be hard. There will be people who persecute you. But Saul didn't jump out of the basket and say, forget this, I didn't sign up for this. He saw his basket as it were. He saw his suffering as privilege and he saw his suffering as, you know what? If somebody else might meet Jesus because I'm in a basket right now, then awesome. I will live in a basket if it just means one person might come to know Jesus. See, that's not typical. But Paul wasn't a typical guy. He was okay, as it were, to be in a basket. Number four would be this. Be helpful to the Saul's. They might actually be a Paul. Be helpful to the Saul's because they might actually be a Paul. In Acts 9, verse 26, it says, When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. They were all freaked out by him. I mean, rightly so. The guy who was persecuting the church in Jerusalem now is back in Jerusalem. And if you're a Christian, you've got to be thinking, man, this is a ploy. He's just saying he's one of us so he can get to figure out who all of us are and kill us. But what I love is that there was a man who was helpful to Saul so that he could become Paul. And his name was Barnabas. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord uh, on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He had also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Barnabas put his name on the line. He put his reputation and said, no, I'm going to vouch for this guy. I now know him. I've seen him. I've heard him. He's the real deal. He's legit. You do not need to be afraid of him. You do not need to be afraid of him. Sometimes it takes a Barnabas, someone who is willing to stand for and with the Sauls in order that they might one day become a Paul. Have you ever experienced this yourself? You're so desperately just wanting to change, wanting to grow, wanting to just mature, wanting just to go hard after being with God. But the people that were around you, they just wouldn't let you change because they constantly reminded, that's not you. Man, I totally knew what you were like. This is all fake. You're a total hypocrite. I know you. And they just did not let you change. They did not let you grow. They did not let you mature. They kept you stuck in what you once were and did not help you live in who God was calling you to be. You ever been there? You so desperately wanted to, to, to grow and mature. But the people around you, they just, they didn't. And so, consequently, you just got stuck. You got stuck being Saul. And what encourages me, blesses me, inspires me, is there are times where you need to be helpful to the Sauls because you just have no idea that that might be a Paul. As I consider my life with God over the past uh, few decades specifically, I am so thankful to the Barnabases in my life. I'll pick on one in particular, Paul Fleming. He's an elder here at Genesis. I can't tell you how many times 
Paul has had to vouch for me in my youthfulness and zeal and excitement. I didn't always do it well. I didn't always do it right. Sometimes people got hurt. And Paul, because he loved me and cared about me, said, hey, give him time. Let him grow. Let him mature. He would vouch for me. Why? Well, because he saw something different in me. Even when my actions didn't necessarily necessitate that. So I'm thankful not only to Paul, but I'm thankful for the other men and women in my life who were a Barnabas to me. If Barnabas didn't stand up in this moment and vouch for Saul and say, no, I will put my name, my reputation, my character on the line here, I have no idea what would have become of Saul. But I'm thankful that someone stood up when nobody else will. So the question becomes relatively simple. Might there be a Saul in your life that is just standing alone because no one else will stand with him or with her? And God wants you to be the one that will come alongside him and say, I know this person has been a mess. They've been challenging, they've been difficult, and they've done things. But you know, I vouch for them. They're with Jesus. Jesus is working with them, and Jesus has great things. And I'm literally going to grab their hand and go with them because I stand with them and I stand for them. Be helpful to the Saul's. They may actually be a Paul. The challenge is just learn to see in others what Jesus sees. That's what I love about Barnabas. He had the ability to look at Saul and see, I just see something that Jesus sees in him. I don't see a murderer. I don't see a persecutor. I don't see a man filled with hatred and bitterness and anger. I just see a man who now loves Jesus. And I now see a man who Jesus wants to use to make a big deal about Jesus in the world. So be helpful. You might have someone right now, and you might be thinking to yourself, I can't for the life of me think of who a Saul would possibly be. Well, you might meet him or her tomorrow. You might meet him or her a month or a year from now. But I want you to remember, be helpful to them because they might be a Paul. And I want to finish with this. Number five, be ready to see God do God things. Be ready to see God do God things. Acts 9, uh, 31 just says, the church had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Those who uh, are just, I don't know, content to live typical lives do not live lives thinking that God wants to be God, that, wants, that God wants to do God things in their lives, around their lives, and through their lives. But one of the things I'm convinced of, of not just Saul or Barnabas, but convinced of all the men and the women, uh, men and women in uh, the early church that we're learning about, they were ready to see God do God things. And you just see in that one verse, there was peace. And if you remember, just a few short weeks back, the church was scattered. The church was freaking out. Why? Because Saul was persecuting people to the point of prison and death. But now, God is doing what only God can do, and he can bring peace. People were becoming stronger in their faith. They were not shrinking back in fear. And then it says this, through the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, 
the church, it just grew and grew and grew in numbers. What I wanted to share with you uh, this morning, just in closing, about uh, this cutting board, and I mean this sincerely, this cutting board is a tremendous reminder to me uh, that God wants to be God, and He wants us to see Him be God. And what I mean by Him being God is there are things that we will never be able to do in and of ourselves, and God wants us to see Him do those things. All those things that you just think never could happen, I just... He wants them to happen. We throw around phrases like God wants to use you and I to change our world. Well, see, that's not just a catchy phrase. I honestly believe that God wants to do that. Someone gave me the cutting board uh, maybe about uh, three, four months ago. And uh, they said, Mike, we just made this gift for you um, because that's what they do. They make cutting boards. Um, And they said, but we want to just... This was our way of just saying thanks uh, to you and to the Genesis community uh, for how uh, you've been used uh, by God to literally just change our family and now change an entire city. And I was like, and I don't really know these people at all. I'd only met them twice. And I was like, what are you possibly talking about? And so they went on a little bit to tell me their story of what God was doing with them and through them and how he used a small community in Woburn, Massachusetts called Genesis uh, to spark uh, some amazing things in a city that none of you have ever even been to. And so I asked them, I was like, hey, would you mind uh, just sending me a quick email, a letter uh, as to your story so I could share it with the men and women of Genesis? This is what they sent. Hey, Michael. I promised uh, to send you an email about how you and your fabulous church have changed our lives. So here it is. Our son Michael, uh, great name, uh, our son Michael was, by the way, this isn't my parents, so. uh, (laughs) uh, Our son Michael was invited to Genesis by his friend Jordan in the fall of 2012. And in the spring of 2013, Uh, Michael and Jordan invited my husband, Frank, and I to come and worship with them. And our son kept uh, warning us, uh, Mom and Dad, keep an open mind. Keep an open mind. Uh, Well, I have to tell you honestly that the Holy Spirit hit us right between the eyes. We walked in expecting anything. Uh, We walked in expecting anything. But what we didn't expect was how full, and I mean full to the brim, your church was with the presence of God. Many members of your church greeted us. I mean, they were interested in us, who we were, where we came from, how we were doing. And they talked affectionately about our son, Mike. We were, as we call it now, awakened. We went home and uh, told a new friend who God had just placed in our life all about Genesis, how wonderful it was, the incredible people, how full of God's presence uh, Uh, this amazing church was. The music, a live band, wow, what a concept. And to sing praises to God, to worship Jesus, and to ask the Spirit of God to enter our lives. Amazing. We were absolutely blown away and changed forever. I guess this this is where I explained to you that my husband and I were brought up in a very traditional setting, organ, music, candles, and so on. Uh, And it is also how we brought our kids up when they really didn't like uh, what they... Sorry, it's also how we brought up uh, our kids 
which they really didn't like or respond to very well, and that means they didn't have a relationship with Jesus, but really, neither did my husband or I. In response to all that God showed us through Genesis, we've decided to start something new at our church, uh, a new worship gathering. Uh, we are in the, and she goes on to explain uh, what they're doing, uh, but um, cut to the end here. We are in our infancy stages of setting up a gathering very similar to what we saw at Genesis. A very uplifting and joyful gathering. It's been a challenge. Support is very low and criticism has been very high, but God has asked us to do this, and uh, we have said yes. Uh, our theme is a community in a community helping uh, the community. And our little community of Lindsay, Ontario, and our little community of Lindsay, Ontario, uh, could use some help uh, as we have many, uh, goes on to talk about different issues going on. Well, Michael, that's our family story of how your beautiful church has affected us. Uh, we most gratefully and humbly thank you and your church body for being you. You have amazed, inspired, changed us, and now many others. So stay the course. Uh, Jesus is smiling down on you all. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And may God continue to bless you and the entire Genesis community. So, I know you might not be, uh, well, I hope you're able to catch some of that, but I read that to you because uh, something that we could have never have done here, it's not like we could have ever said, well, what could we do in Lindsay, Ontario? It's not like we could have ever whiteboarded out, like, well, this is how we're going to impact a small community in Lindsay, and let's just go for it. But what that letter... (laughs) What that cutting board reminds me is of God wants to be God. And people who just settle for typical lives will not see God be God. And what I'm excited about to experience with all of you is God being God. God doing so much more than we could ever think up or dream up on our own. Never in my wildest imaginations and craziest prayers that I ever even mention Ontario. But now there's a family that's gathered a small community around them uh, to start something, a community that would be all about Jesus so that others could know to, uh, come to know him as well. N- only God could do that. But I'm convinced that that's just, that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. The early church, they were just seeing God be God again and again and again. I was like, well, we couldn't have done that. We couldn't have come up with a master plan to bring peace to uh, Galilee and Samaria and Judea. Like, we couldn't have done that. We couldn't have masterminded a plan of how can we reach another 20,000 people. They couldn't have done that. But what they were seeing is time and time and time again, God wants to be God. It's just a question of will we open our eyes and just pursue God being God in our midst? I think that's what he has for you. I don't think that. I'm convinced. I'm convinced that's what he has for us.